You're listening to the Crossing DE podcast from The Crossing in Milton, Delaware, a community dedicated to developing devoted followers of Jesus. I don't know how to follow any of that up. Goodness. Hey, I have a confession to make. Uh, when Mark and Adam first told me the title of this series, uh, A Cousin Eddie Christmas, I didn't get it. I didn't get the joke. I didn't get the reference. Who is Cousin Eddie? Am I the only one? I had I no clue who Cousin Eddie was. Okay, I'm the only one. Cool. Uh, <laughs> thanks to a quick Google search, I learned that Cousin Eddie is a character from the classic Christmas movie, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation which uh, came out in 1989, which was seven years before I was born. So (laughs) cut me some slack. Cousin Eddie uh, is the epitome of uh, an embarrassing relative. Uh, He had, just like in this picture, he had a a tendency to spend time outside in the dead of winter in in a bathrobe, uh, which is pretty weird. Uh, And everyone... Uh, has their own approach to the Cousin Eddies in their life. Every family's got Cousin Eddies, uh, and, and we all have our, our reaction to them. Some of us might laugh at Cousin Eddie. Some of us might cringe at Cousin Eddie. Some of us might avoid or roll our eyes, but, but you have a response. And every family has one. And if you don't think that your family has a Cousin Eddie, it's because you're the Cousin Eddie in your family. <laughs> I can say that because I am my family's cousin Eddie. Every family has one. Some families have a couple cousin Eddies. And the premise of this entire series is that Jesus' family was no different. Jesus' family had a couple cousin Eddies. At the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, we get a genealogy or a family tree for Jesus. And it's full of huge characters from the Old Testament, patriarchs and and prophets and and these heroes and and people who are really close to God. But there are also some wackos in in the family line too. Matthew 1 verses 1 and 2 starts like this. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of God, the son of Abraham. Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now that's as far as I'm going to go in this. Cole and the band, they went through the whole thing. Uh, So far we've already encountered some, some big heroes of the faith, right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of these, all of these men are are godly and, and they're in the same family line as Jesus. But then we get to Judah and his brothers. And this, my friends, is is where we see the first cousin Eddie uh, in in Jesus' family, Judah. Judah is so goofy that he doesn't even get his own line in the genealogy. Right? Like in typical sibling fashion, he has to share the spotlight with his brothers. So who is Judah? And what makes him a proverbial cousin Eddie? 
Judah is one of the sons of Jacob. Jacob had a lot of sons, which eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah is the fourth son of Jacob and Leah. And here's here's a fun little nerdy thing that I I learned. Uh, He's the fourth son of, of Jacob and Leah, and he's the fourth person in the genealogy of Jesus. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's where Judah's story ceases to be cool, however. Uh, as we walk through today, uh, we're going to hit the highlights, or, or rather the lowlights, uh, of Judah's life. And, and it doesn't start out too great. Uh, his, his family situation, his, it, it's a mess. Judah was born, I told you Judah is born by Jacob and Leah. And, and Leah is the wife that Jacob was tricked into marrying. Leah, it says in scripture that Jacob resented Leah. So not a great start there. And then you look at Judah's older brothers, Simeon and Levi, who were murderers and liars and deceivers. In fact, all of the older siblings in Judah's families, in Judah's family, they're pretty messed up themselves. They're so jealous of their youngest brother, Joseph, that at, at one point, they, they, plot, they come up with a plot to kill their youngest brother. That is, until Judah steps in. Uh, but before we lift Judah up on a pedestal, uh, let's look at the reason that Judah gives for why they should spare Joseph's life. He says, what do we have to gain by killing our brother? Instead... Let's sell him into slavery. You see, Judah's motivation for sparing Joseph's life is entirely self-motivated. He says, if we kill Joseph, we get nothing out of the deal. So let's find a way to get rid of our brother that gets us something back in return. And so they do just that. And they sell their youngest brother, Joseph, into slavery. We're, We're not even halfway Genesis 38, Judah leaves his family and he goes off into, an, into a faraway land and, and he marries a Canaanite woman named Shua. This is a big no-no because God called his people to abstain from marrying outsiders. This is not because God is racist. God is not racist. Uh, this is because the outsiders, the other nations, they worshiped false gods. They worshiped idols and God wanted his people to be separated from that. But Judah didn't listen. Judah married a Canaanite woman named Shua. He makes matters worse by uh, raising three unruly kids. But the worst part is he gave them dumb names. Uh, Hannah and I are about to have our our first kid here in a couple months. and, And so we've been having a lot of conversation about names. Names are important to me. I want my kid to have a good name. Uh, But apparently it wasn't important to Judah. Judah, here are the names of his kids. Er, E-R. Just sounds like he didn't know what to say. He's like, er. (laughs) Onan. And the worst of all, Sheila. Now, if we have a Sheila in here this morning, I really am sorry. Your name is lovely. However, Judah named his son Sheila. Uh, That's like the old Johnny Cash song, A Boy Named Sue. Just not right. Judah's son Ur was so wicked that God struck him dead. When that happened, Ur left behind his wife Tamar. Now, at at this time, there was a tradition called the kinsman redeemer. 
Uh, And what that is, is if a man were to die and leave behind his wife without any kids to care for her in her old age, the man's brother would step in and provide a child for the, the widow. You know, the goal is taking care of the widow. Uh, and that's what was supposed to happen. Uh, but Onan had other plans. And this is where the story uh, gets a little too rated R for church. So uh, I'm trying to keep things PG-13 at the most. Uh, so I'm going to spare you the details. If you would like to read them, Genesis 38. Uh, I'm going to be done with that. Thank you, Adam. Uh, they set me up. They set me up. Let's suffice it to say Onan didn't follow through. Uh, He didn't do what he was supposed to. And God struck him dead too. So now Judah has two dead wicked sons. At this point, Sheila, if I'm Sheila, I'm scared. (laughs) Sheila is is just a kid. And so Judah goes uh, to Tamar and says, go live with your family. And when Sheila is old enough for you to marry, you can marry Sheila. And he can give you a kid to take care of you. And so that's what Tamar does. Tamar goes to live with her family for years and years and years, and she doesn't hear from Judah again. And so she disguises herself and goes to wait outside the city where Judah is, hoping to see him. And while she's out by the gate, it says Judah sees her, but didn't recognize her. And he mistook her for a prostitute. And he paid for her to accompany him, still doesn't recognize her, and actually gets Tamar pregnant. A couple weeks, months have gone by, and Judah gets word, hey, did you hear that Tamar is pregnant? And Judah is filled with rage, and he calls for Tamar to be brought to him because he wants to kill her. But as she approaches... Just like any episode of of Jerry Springer, uh, Judah is confronted with the fact that he is the father. It's quite a rap sheet, huh? Right? Like Judah is is pretty messed up. He's jealous, he's self-centered, he's greedy, morally corrupt. He raised wicked children, he didn't honor God with who he married, he's disobedient, he's arrogant, he's hateful. He's murderous. This is someone that's featured in the family tree of Jesus. Jesus is called the Lion of Judah. How am I supposed to feel comfortable mentioning this guy in Jesus in the same breath? Well, Judah's life and Judah's story don't end with Genesis 38. We don't hear from him for a while. And he resurfaces in Genesis chapter 42. And when he shows up in Genesis 42, he's immediately described as having a gray head, meaning that time has passed, he's matured, he's older, he's, he's wiser. And when we see him, he's headed to Egypt to get food for his family. There was a a big famine, and so people would go to Egypt to go get food. And and so he's headed to Egypt with his brothers where they unknowingly bump into the brother that they sold into slavery all those years ago, Joseph. But they don't recognize him. 
And at this point, I think it's time to add poor eyesight to Judah's list of flaws. This is the second time that he has encountered a family member, a family member, and not recognized them. Joseph, on the other hand, recognizes his brothers instantly. Uh, And he tells them that he's not going to give them food unless all of their brothers are, are there. Their youngest brother, Benjamin, had stayed home with with their family. So he sends them back home where they go and negotiate with their aging father, Jacob. Hey, let us bring Benjamin. Otherwise, he's not going to give us food. And they go back and forth. and, And Judah finally steps up and he says, look, if anything happens to Benjamin, it's on me. I take full responsibility. And so Judah and his brothers with Benjamin head back to Egypt Where Joseph sees them, they see Joseph, they still don't recognize Joseph, and and he continues his charade. He invites them uh, to share a meal together. They talk, they laugh, And, and near the end of the meal, Joseph motions for one of his household servants to come over, and he instructs the servant, hey, take this silver cup and, uh, and put it in Benjamin's bag. All right, something fishy's going on here. As the meal ends and Judah and his brothers leave Egypt, as they're approaching the edge of the city, here come Joseph's servants chasing after them. And they say, one of you stole something from from our master. And they they are like, "We we didn't do anything. But as they search the bags, they find the silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And this is where the new and improved Judah steps up. Uh, He goes directly to Joseph and he he begs Joseph to to spare Benjamin's life. He says, don't take Benjamin as a servant. If something happens to him, my father is going to die. He's going to be so heartbroken. Uh, He says, take me instead. Let me take his place. And so it's, it's at this moment of selfless sacrifice that, that Joseph breaks down, that uh, he lets his brothers know who he is, uh, and there's reconciliation from years and years and years of hurt and carrying around that guilt and shame. The man who was once self-centered was willing to sacrifice himself. The man that was once arrogant is now humble. Judah is a new man. And the story of Judah kind of crescendos in Genesis 49. As Jacob, on his deathbed, is praying blessing over each of his sons. And he prays, and he starts by telling Judah that he will be praised. The name Judah literally means praise. So even though Judah doesn't care about good names for kids, at least someone in their family does. He calls Judah a lion, and and these had to be such cool things to hear from his dad. But here's the important piece. I think it's going to be up here. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. Who has a scepter? The king. Here's Jacob proclaiming that God's king will come from Judah, that it will come from Judah's family, from Judah's line, and the nations will be obedient to this king. 
Mm, that sounds like someone we know. And if things weren't clear enough, he ends with descriptors of this king, all of which are, are fulfilled in the New Testament when this king shows up. The king is Jesus. Now, according to N.T. Wright, uh, that's the whole point of the genealogy in Matthew, to point to Jesus, that, that all of human history has been pointing to and leading up to Jesus. If you would have told me back in Genesis 38 that this prayer, that this blessing was being prayed over Judah, I would have told you that you were crazy. Judah? That guy's a mess. And and so it led me to this question, what happened to Judah? Like what happened between Genesis 38 and Genesis 42? What happened? I think we might look for this this road to Damascus type moment where where Jesus appears to Paul, who was also kind of a mess. But in Judah's story, we don't get a scene like that. We don't get a story of radical, instant transformation. In fact, most of the action, most of the transformation happens off camera. We don't see it. We just see after several years, he shows up a changed man. I think that the transformation had to have happened slowly over time. I think it took hard work. I think it involved tough conversations. I think it took a lot of self-reflection. And so here's the conclusion that I've come to as I read Judah's story. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a message that you need to hear, that I need to hear. It's you are never too messed up, too far gone, or too late to return to God. If someone as distant from, uh, from God as Judah can return, so can you. If someone as messed up as Judah can return to God, so can you. And if someone can wait as long as Judah did to return to God, so can you. But Austin, you, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how much I've messed up. There are things that I did 20, 30 years ago that, that I'm still dealing with, that I haven't uh, surrendered, that, that I never made right. I've been gone for so long that there's no way that God would even want me anymore. And to that, I say, I hear you. But what Judah did even what the Apostle Paul did, what, it's worse than what you've done. And if God was still willing to use Judah, why do you think you would be any different? Scripture is full of cousin Eddie's. It's full of messed up people who God chooses to use anyways. God is not scared away by the mess, but he chooses to use us in spite of the mess. And I really believe that Satan wants to discourage you and keep you held down. And and that's why he's feeding you lies like that. I'm too far gone. I'm too messed up. I've waited too long. Please don't believe those lies. Instead, let's turn back to God. 
It's not too far. It's not too late. And you're not too messed up. The Christmas season, uh, it, it presents us with an opportunity. We get to spend a lot of time thinking about Jesus and the effect that his arrival on earth has. And it gives us an opportunity to do some self-reflection. We don't want to miss, you know, the, the big point of this entire Christmas season. After all that we've talked about, I can't believe that these words are coming out of my mouth. Let's learn from Judah. Let's do some self-reflection and self-correction. Here's some questions that as you reflect, as you look at your own self, here's some questions that you might want to ask. Where have I missed the mark? How does my life match up with the faith that I proclaim? Am I self-centered or am I God-focused? Does my life lead me closer to God or further away from him? What kingdom traits and characteristics are not present in my life? And as we reflect on that, it's going to reveal truth. And the truth that it will reveal, we, we got to do some self-correction. Just like Judah. I think that, uh, that Judah only experienced life change when he humbled himself and started living life, uh, started living a righteous life. Righteous is a, a big word for saying living life God's way. Humility and righteousness are the keys here. They're the two kingdom characteristics that were most sorely lacking in Judah's early days. Judah was prideful. He was greedy, he was self-centered, and when we live life like that, we fool ourselves into thinking that we don't need God, that we're self-sustainable, that we can handle life on our own, and our pride swells and swells. And I don't need to unwind the, the, the long web of, of Judah's unrighteous life and, and wicked decisions. So what happened to Judah? He was humbled, and he began to live life God's way. When I talk about turning back to God, that's what I'm talking about. In, in the midst of a season in which we seldom think of anyone beyond ourselves, God is calling us to humility. And in a world that tells us that we uh, are best served by living the life that we see fit, we're called to obedience we're called to righteousness. The way that we live our lives, it matters to God. That's what Judah did. He humbled himself. He submitted himself to living life God's way. And so I won't say this very often, but in this regard, let's follow Judah's example. Might take some time. Might take some effort. It, it might be painful but we won't regret it. Just like Judah, there is space for you in, in the family tree of this coming king. All you have to do is turn back to God. How do we do it? Humble ourselves. Start living life God's way. It's not a Herculean task. 
We're not reinventing the wheel here. But it was a game changer for Judah. And it can be for us too. Imagine if Judah had never done the self-reflection. Imagine if he had never done the self-correction. I I don't like the ending to that story. I think it looks a lot different than what we see. I don't like that ending for you, and I don't like that ending for me. So let's push away the lies of the enemy, the lies that tell us that we're too far gone, that we're too messed up, that that it's too late. Let's push away those lies and, and do the work the hard work, but necessary work that's right in front of us. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for your son. God, we're sorry for the times that we miss the mark where we get so caught up in ourselves, bringing ourselves glory, doing what we want, that we forget you. God, I pray that you would protect us from the lies of the enemy. That we would see them as that, as as lies. That we would do the hard work of of self-reflection and self-correction and would turn back to you. Father, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. For more information about The Crossing, visit thecrossingde.com or download the mobile app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. Music for today's podcast is from artist Sounds Like Sander under license from soundstripe.com.